Praise God. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Well, it's awesome to be here this evening. Um, it's so great that we can spend time together praising and worshipping God in one accord, in one place, and we can feel his presence and his power here in this place. Amen. Um, I just want to thank Pastor also for the opportunity to be able to minister um, the, this series. It's been a blessing to me, um, and I've uh, studied a lot more and got a lot more into the scriptures and uh, I know that it's been a blessing to the church as well that we can really understand and catch a hold of uh, the vision it's not pastor's vision it's not my vision it's it's Jesus vision for this church amen um, but before I begin I've, I've uh, asked sister Mabel and brother Joel if they would like to to come up and to testify now they're a little bit nervous but um, let's give them a hand clap of praise. And it's, I've, it's been intentional, the people that I've asked. So um, Sister Mabel, testify. Come up. Okay, so I want to be grateful to God, and I also tell um, Brother Leon, thank you for the opportunity, but when he asked me, I told him, oh, no, Brother Leon, because they're like better people, if that's how I put it in my way, like better people that have done a lot that could testify better than I do, but he was like, no, just say whatever you can say. And I was like, oh, I haven't really discipled anybody. But anyway, if you ask me, I will say no. So tonight I will just be like testifying about what has happened. So um, he gave us some questions, some questions to answer. <laughs> so the first one says, who have invested in you to make you a disciple? And coming to Australia, I knew God. Um, but when we came to Australia, we came to this church. And when we came to this church, God made a way that there were lots of people here to help us, especially for the boys. They were there for us. But there was one person that stuck by, and this person was Janita. He took upon himself and started teaching us Bible study. And he was always there for us. Because at that time, we didn't have like driver license or anything. So coming to church was really difficult. But he was always there. The moment we call him, he's ready to come. Even before we wake up, he's already there. <laughs> yeah. So he brought us to church every day. And even for youth activities, whatever, he was always there for us. And he started teaching us Bible study. 
And that was what he did for us. And what impacted me the most was when he was teaching Bible study one day, and then we were sitting, we were talking about Jesus, the name of Jesus. Then, I can't remember the Bible verse, but it was somewhere in John. And then it said that you, uh, either John or Matthew, say, baptize them, go and baptize them in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And while we were talking, then something just like, it was just like a click or something. Then the thing told me like, like I was in the English class or something. It was like, you know that the word, when someone said there, it means that there's something you already, like you both already know about. So that's why you can say, go and bring me there, come. That person already know, what cup, for instance, you say, go and bring me that yellow cup. That person already know what kind of cup you are talking about. So that's how the name of Jesus is. So if, when he says, go and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they're already, like, telling you that Jesus is the same as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when I got that understanding that day, maybe I didn't tell him, but I was just sitting and thinking about it. And then after some time, I got baptized in the name of Jesus because I was baptized before, but I was baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that day, I decided to get re-baptized in the name of Jesus, and Jeanette did it for me. And after that... <coughs> We come to the next question that says, who have you invested in? And that's the part that got me thinking. <laughs> because since then, I haven't invested into anyone. But except for Joel, that I try to encourage him with the help of God, that he will get to know the importance of Jesus in his, in his life and that he will trust Jesus and depend on him because he and myself that's all we have is Jesus Christ and so what impact has this had on his life so I will give him a mark so he can tell you <laughs> there you go This is nerve-wracking. This had a lot of impact on my life because, like, as a young kid, you don't really understand what Jesus is doing in your life. So I guess the more you, like, grow up and start to understand, you just realize how much power. He has over your life, and you just want to praise and worship him. And I want to thank him for like <laughs> that meant, thank you for helping me with the Holy Ghost. Like I remember once I was thinking because I prayed for the Holy Ghost a lot so I was thinking like, like why couldn't I get it and I just remember this one lesson. It was just like patience and having faith in God. And I just remember 
Like, I just want to thank him for what he's doing in my life and thank you for his what he's doing in my family's life. And may he continue to work in this church because this is a beautiful church family. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Thank you, Brother Ryan. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, Mabel. Praise God. <laughs> um, when I asked uh, Sister Mabel, would she testify? And she said, I... You know, I can tell you about what Brother Jonathan did, but I haven't invested in anyone. I said, Sister Mabel, you've got a son. You, you are investing in him. Parents, you need to invest in your children. Amen? It's your role to disciple them. You are investing in them. And you can see from Brother Joel, as he, as he spoke emotionally there, that God's changed his life. God filled him with the Holy Spirit. Amen? That was because there was a mum who was praying, a mum who invested and taught him. Amen? Praise God. It's so awesome to see what God is doing in our church. Amen? Well, before I begin, I'll just start with a word of prayer. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these testimonies. Thank you, Jesus, for the wonderful work that you're doing in the lives of your people, Lord Jesus. The changes that we see, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, the changes that people are are no longer on the the broad way, but on the narrow, Lord Jesus, on the way to heaven to spend eternity with you. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would have your way this evening. Speak to us, minister to us, challenge us, Heavenly Father, that we would do your will and follow your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Uh, something I, I wanted to acknowledge is and commend um, the church is that there are people who have made and who are making disciples. The, the series that I've been teaching, it's not some incredibly new, amazing revelation. Many of us have know the command and many of us are actually obeying that command. But one of the goals of the series is to join, is to join what we currently do and take it up another level, is to connect what we currently do with the vision, to apply the vision to our lives and begin to change the culture of our church, to live intentionally as we go and make disciples. I hope this series has created a burden within you, a deep desire and a in your soul to become a disciple maker. I expect that God is speaking to you specifically and he expects action and that is true faith. There's no point in going through these three series and just not applying what God has spoken to us about. We have to do what he says. And tonight I will give you that opportunity to not just hear God's word but to apply it to your life. Like I said last week and In the first lesson, I believe that Jesus wants this church, Northside Pentecostal Church, to have an infectious disciple-making culture. We covered in our first lesson the value of uh, making disciples. The mission of the United Pentecostal Church International is the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. And our vision is to go make disciples. That vision is rooted in the scripture in Matthew 28:19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
Now, making disciples is not reserved to the ministry. We can't quote-unquote ministry. We can't outsource it. Making disciples is a personal, I repeat, it's a personal responsibility of all of us. Point to yourself and say, it's my responsibility. I've done that every week and I'll keep doing it if I preach again. <laughs> it's, it's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. I, um, I saw this quote la- last week. It's by a man named Buckminster Fuller. He's an American architect and an inventor. He said, and he said, what is my job on the planet? What is it that needs doing that I know something about that probably won't happen unless I take responsibility for it? And that got me thinking about the conversion, the conversion of, of Saul and how God used Ananias to reach out to Saul. And that scripture in Acts 9 and 10 says, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I'm here, Lord. That certain disciple, if we can have the next slide up, that certain disciple at Damascus is that one of a kind, is that unique. There may have been other more qualified disciples, but it was Ananias' role. Just like Ananias, you and I, we are unique. We are one of a kind. You are a particular person with a set of talents, of time and treasure that God can use. And nothing can happen unless you take that responsibility. All of us, we are called. We are called to take up a cross, a person, a child, a neighbor, to sacrifice our our lives daily to make disciples for Christ. And lesson two, we covered the four principles of being a disciple maker. Principle number one was the direction of Jesus' command was to go make disciples. It wasn't to come into church. See, we are the church, and we need to take the church outside of these walls. We need to take it into our families, into our communities, into our workplaces. The second principle was disciple-making is an indicator of our growth as a Christian. We must reproduce. We must reproduce disciples. We can't just sit in church and listen to the preaching. This needs to transform and we need to make disciples in our families. We need to make disciples in our workplaces. Principle three is making disciples fulfills God's purpose in your life. People have many different things and purposes that they want to follow. But us, the living church, the church that God gave his life for, we have a purpose and that purpose is that we would obey that command, that we would obey the command to make disciples. And the principle four was making disciples is not what we do, it's who we are. That scripture, go make disciples, the rendition is as you go make disciples. Your lifestyle, my lifestyle, it's not just something that I do, it's every day. Every day when I wake up, I'm making a disciple. Every day when I, when I go to work, I'm making a disciple. It's, it's what we do every single part of our day, of our life. It's not what just happens on a Sunday. It's what happens on the Monday to the Saturday. In our families, as we go, when we put our kids to sleep, we're making a disciple. And today, part three is, uh, is on the three methods of disciple makers. Three methods of disciple makers. How can I disciple? 
This is where the rubber meets the road. It's the application, the application of Jesus' command to our life, that we're not just hearers of this word, but doers, that the practical Christian living, and this is the part that really, that excites me. Jesus not only gave us the message, he modeled the method of making disciples. Um, there's, and when I thought about this um, question, how do I make disciples, my thoughts went to a Rubik's Cube. Does everyone know what one of those are? Um, I've solved one by taking the stickers off and just putting it on the... Um, that's cheating, but it's, it's pretty amazing. The, the world record for solving a Rubik's Cube is 4.69 seconds. Um, and it's a bit overwhelming. Um, could, could just ask KJ if he'd like to, to come up here. It's, you think, where do I start? It's, it's really hard. It's really complex. How, how am I going to do it? And at first glance, you look at it. You look at the Rubik's Cube, and it seems impossible. So KJ's got a Rubik's Cube here. Um, and there's a method, and there are principles that solve the Rubik's Cube. So I've asked KJ here because he can actually solve this. Can you do it in 4.69 seconds, KJ? Probably not. <laughs> but he's going to give it a go, okay? So we've already scrambled it. There's no stickers on this one. KJ, okay, you can go. should have some music in the background. And just like that, there's a method. Um, you know, there's... KJ, can you tell us one of the things you've got to do if you want to solve it? So first you have to make the cross, and then you make the first two layers, and then you make the yellow side, and then you finish the cube. You got that? <laughs> Cass, would you like it? <laughs> Thanks, KJ. I'll, I'll keep it. <laughs> um... So it seems quite easy just to explain first you do the cross, then you do this. But there are principles. Like there's one thing I didn't realize. When you look at a cube, um, the middle, the middle uh, square, that color is the color that you know. So you know that's the color that goes on that side. And you think that's pretty logical, right? Because that color never moves. But when you look at it, you're like, I always try to solve the edges. And I don't know which color should go on which face. But if you know that, you can straight away say, oh, red's on this side. Okay, I'll try and get red on that side. So there's, there's just things that you, you look at it, but you look at it and you think, that's impossible. How, how do you do that? How does someone do that in 4.69 seconds? But there is a method um, to solve the Rubik's Cube, and so there is a method uh, to make disciples. 
And just like most people can't solve Rubik's cubes, many Christians either don't know how or don't even try to make disciples. You know, they look at it and they think, "Oh, that that's just too hard. I, there's no way I could do that." So I challenge you today to accept the Great Commission, no matter how complex or difficult this may appear. Do not be afraid. Do not let it overwhelm you. Do not let these words pass you by. There is no excuse. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert or whatever personality type or whatever, however busy you are or however much money you make. Or, that's not an excuse. We all need to make disciples. But you see what Jesus said in the command in Matthew 28, 19. He didn't just say, go make disciples, the end, see you later. Jesus said, and I will never leave you or forsake you. And if he's given you a responsibility, he will give you that ability. But he needs your availability. He needs you to be like, yes, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. So what are the methods that we are going to use? What are the moves that we need to make on this discipleship Rubik Cube? There's many different things we can use. But there's three methods that I want to cover tonight. And these methods will align to our call to action at the end of the night. These methods are prayer, partnership, and relationship. Turn to your neighbor and say, prayer, partnership, relationship. Prayer, partnership, relationship. We start with prayer. That's where we need to start. Prayer is our connection to the source. It's our communication with the Almighty. Any successful relationship requires communication. Sometimes um, my wife and I, we get so busy in life and we uh, will, uh, after a couple of days, we'll say we're just like ships in the night, like I'm doing something and she's doing something. We're not communicating. We don't know what's going on in each other's life. But any successful relationship requires a communication. And prayer is our communication with God. And we need relationship with him. And discipleship is just, it will be an outflow of that relationship. When we pray without ceasing, God will transform us. Luke 22 32 to 34 says, uh, 31 to 32 says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. You see, Jesus prayed. He prayed for his disciples. And so must we, the people that we are discipling, the people that God has called into our life, our children, we have to pray. And when we're converted, we can strengthen others. But it means first, first, connect with the source. Pray. We can't give what we don't have. We need a relationship with Jesus, and that comes from prayer. As parents, we can't teach our children to pray if we don't pray ourselves. And the same goes with teaching, reading God's word and understanding his word and studying his word. We have to be more mature than those we lead. We cannot be a disciple without Jesus. 
Church, there are doors and opportunities that are, will arise um, when you leave today. God will open those doors. But it's the power of prayer that will make us be effective. See, one plants, another watereth, but God brings the increase. The word of God is planted, but we need prayer to water it. And God will bring the increase. That's when it's going to be effective. It's in the secret place that God speaks to us, that he, he centers us towards him. He grounds us, directs us, and commands us. So how will we make disciples? Firstly, we must pray. That vertical connection is critical before we can make the horizontal connections with disciples. The second method on the Rubik's Cube is partnership. Partnership. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 4, 12 says, And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. There is a threefold cord. It's, it's you, it's me, and it's Christ. It's all of us. We have two partnerships that I want to cover. We partner with Christ and we partner with each other. Firstly, partnering with Christ. This, this really amazes me that God, the God who created this universe, he made all the stars, trillions of stars, he formed us in his image. The almighty God, the omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing God would entrust us, you and me, his great commission to vessels like us. That boggles my mind. It's like, God, really, me? You want me? You want to partner with me? And God does. He desires to partner with you, that you would be his hands, his feet, his voice, to spread the good news. It's you and me. It's not the angels. God wants to partner with us. There is an invitation to imitation. We are invited to imitate him. Jesus has set the example. He has modeled how to make disciples. He said, follow me. Do what I do. Talk like I talk. Act like I act. React like I react. For many people, and including our children, we are the only Jesus they are going to experience. The example that we set speaks a thousand words. The core idea of the church is not to be a church member, but it's to be a Christ follower. We must pattern our life after the example of Jesus. Christian means to be Christ-like. We're like him. Copy, paste. We partner with Christ when we follow him and obey his command to make disciples. Church, we've been given this opportunity and it's a privilege to work with God. You can take it up. Don't let it pass you by. And I was thinking about this. God has to be the best person to work with. You know, we'll all have different workplaces and you all have different work colleagues. They all have different work ethics. Uh, ways of doing things. Um, but, you know, God, like, he's always on time. Like, he rocks up, you know. He's not late for his shift. Uh, he's not slack. He's honest. He's trustworthy. His word is true. And he pays the best, really. 
we have an honor and a privilege to work with the almighty God, the best partner to work with. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us to do his will. He didn't just say, just go and do this. He gave his Holy Spirit. He filled us with his Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundant above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. And there is a power that worketh in us. And if we obey his command, he's going to open doors. There's going to be opportunities. We will see miracles, signs, wonders that will follow us. We'll speak to others. We'll teach others because we get to partner with the living God. Amen. Secondly, we partner with each other. I spoke to um, you earlier in the earlier lessons about how you, you have to go make disciples. I'm really emphasizing the responsibility is you. If you haven't noticed that, I've really just pushed that. You can't outsource it to pastor or the ministry. It's your responsibility. And it's true. The responsibility of making disciples, it lies with you. However, we, the church, the body of Christ, the ministry, we have a responsibility to serve you. Minister means to serve. We are ministers, and we are here to serve you. We are here to equip you, to train you, to teach you, and to provide you with the resources and support so you can um, support the vision to go make disciples. But you know that you're not doing this alone. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you're not in this alone. We're not. We're not in this alone. Even Jesus, he didn't do it alone. The, the king of kings, he partnered with 12 disciples. He didn't just choose one. He, choose, he chose 12. He recognized that there was a support network that was needed. They needed to support one another. And that strength came in unity. Have that one mind, one accord. The community, is, it is so important. And I've seen a, th- a theme throughout today in the, the messages about the enemy, how the enemy wants to do everything possible to separate you from the church, to separate you from the brothers and sisters in Christ. I was reading a book called Rooted by Banning Libeshia. Um can't pronounce his name. And it was interesting what he had written. He had recalled a time when he was having issues in his marriage and he prayed to God and he told God, God, I'm, I tried my best. I'm, I did the best. I'm doing the best I can do. And God spoke to him and said, your best is not good enough. See, God revealed to him that you need to bring the best people into your marriage. You need to bring those with wise and godly counsel into your marriage. That is the best. And it is relevant for us today that we can't suffer in silence. What Satan wants to do is separate us. He, d- he doesn't want us to be a part of this community. Because sometimes what we do is we go through things in our life, whether it's loneliness, whether it's grief and sorrow, whether we um, have issues in our marriage or raising our children. We go through these things in life, in silence. 
and we come into church week in, week out, and God is here, and God helps us, but we don't connect with the community that God's given us. Church, this is so important. You were created in God's image. You were created to worship him and worship him in community. When you get to heaven, you won't be the only one there. And you cannot separate yourself from this body because the enemy will pick you off. There is a pastor, there are ministries, ministers, there are people in this church that will love you and will support you. But the enemy will tell you they don't love you, they don't care about you. But that is a lie. And whatever you are going through, you need to understand God has ordained this church to help you in your time of need, to support you, to love you through this. We are in this together, church. Ephesians chapter 4 says, and 16 says, from whom the whole body is fitly joined together and compacted, by which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. We are a body fitly joined together. We need each other for the whole body to operate. You know, KJ couldn't have done this without two hands. We need the liver. We need the big toe. We need the pinky finger. We need the nose, the hair, the arm, all of it. And you are all here, fitly joined together. And that's what disciple makers is. It's partnering. It's connecting with wise and godly counsel in all aspects of our life, in our finances, in, our le- in leadership, in parenting, marriage, singles, spiritual growth, spiritual disciplines, making disciples. It's you, it's me being joined together, being connected so we can make disciples. We are here to support you, but we need you to be available to use what you have, to use what God has given you. Jesus fed the 5,000, but there was a boy that had only five loaves and two fish. He's like, what's that going to do? But look what Jesus did, the miracle that he performed. The, 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 the boy gave it, and he wasn't forced to give it. He gave it, and God multiplied. You know, KJ learned to do this Rubik's Cube. It's something um, possibly insignificant, but God used it as an object lesson for the church. What do you have? Ask yourself, what do I have? You have a house? You have a car? Perhaps you know how to cook? Have a musical ability, Brother Kevin? <laughs> a musical ability? Perhaps you, you're good at making friends? Perhaps you have children, finances, an ability to teach? I could go on and on and on. Be an Ananias. What you have is not insignificant. When we put it into his hands, it's amazing what he can do. That's what it's about. That's where faith is. It's like, God, I can, you know, I can cook me goring. I've got someone coming over. You know, that's what I got. There's there's something that happens when, when we have that childlike faith, when we just put what we have 
into God's hand and he multiplies it. But it's not enough just to stay where we are. We need to ask God to multiply those things that we have that give it, to give us better understanding, to give us a better ability in teaching or in musical or growing or parenting, whatever the case may be. We're praying to God. There's something that we need to understand is that God didn't give us time or talents or treasure for us. It's for you to use it for his glory. It actually it just all belongs to him anyway. But he's given it to us that he said, here, use this for my glory. And so all those things, the car, house, whatever talents and things we've got, God said, use it for my glory. Not, it's, it's not just, it's not for us. And church, we are all in this together. We all, we need each other. We can't do this on our own. He's using us to fulfill his purpose. And together, you and me, we are all partners together with Christ to achieve his vision, to disciple this world. The third method on the Rubik's Cube is relationship. Relationships are key. People are our focus. We're not talking about numbers or programs or buildings. It's not about getting people into church. It's about investment in people's lives. Our goal is for them to know Jesus and for their lives to be saved and changed into the likeness of Jesus so that they can go and turn and make disciples. Matthew 16, 13 to 23. If we just want to turn there and read that scripture. We're talking about relationship. When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And, and they said, some, of, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, Elias some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So Jesus is saying, who, who do people say that I am? And he's saying, saith unto them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And lots of people take the scriptures to say Peter was the rock of the church, but that's not, um, that's not what Jesus was saying. When we, look, when we read that scripture, we see that Jesus was asking, well, who do people say that I am? They said, well, some, some say you're Elias or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Who do you say that I am? Peter has this revelation that this is the Christ, the one that we're looking for, the son of the living God. There was this revelation that he, he had. Um, and Jesus responded and said, thou art Peter. And so he was saying, you know who I am. You have a revelation of who I am. And guess what? You are Peter. You are Matthew. You are Jonathan. I know who you are. Jesus was saying, there is a relationship here. There is an intimate relationship. And that intimate relationship is the rock that I will build my church on. When you build a building, we went to Brother Thomas's um, building yesterday, and it was pretty amazing, all the engineering aspects of 
the nuclear thing. Um, he can explain it. But <laughs> there was tons and tons and tons of concrete poured um, into that foundation. Um, and there was a strength, there was a rock there. You, you have to build that building um, on a rock because can't, you can't afford, while they're making the special potions, you can't afford for it to, for it to move. There's a, there's a foundation. But Jesus wasn't talking about a foundation of a building. But it's amazing that he uses that same analogy, that when you build a building, you build it on a strong foundation. Jesus is using the analogy and he's saying, well, actually, it's upon this rock, this intimate relationship, that I will build my church. This is the rock. It's not a building. It's a revelation of who he is. It's the relationship we have with him. And what did he say? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Nothing will separate us from his love. When we have this love, when we have this relationship with him, and that brings me to the foundation of our relationship, which is love. The motive for all we must, all we do must be love. We disciple in love. It has to be done in love. We love by giving our time, our money, our life, our desires, ourselves. There is a sacrifice involved in discipling. We have to disciple in love. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It simply comes from obedience. It simply comes from obedience to the command. In John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, go make. If you love me, keep my commandments. And what was the commandment? Go make disciples. So, what is the love we are talking about? First Corinthians thirteen describes what love is. It uses the word charity, but I'll use the word love. Love suffereth long and is kind. This is in First Corinthians thirteen. It says, "Love suffereth." long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Love never fails. Love must be what leads us to disciple. When those we disciple fail, when they don't quite reach the mark or the standard, how do we respond? Do we respond with anger? Do we respond with frustration, impatience? Or do we respond with kindness or grace? Do we respond with love? Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. endures all things. This is a love that doesn't fail. And it's a love that, that it's hard for us in our, in our humanness to love this way. But the love, it comes from God. That's why when I talked about when we pray, we're connecting to a source. That source is love. When you connect to that source, the love of God enters you. It fills your life. And it, there's an outflow when we go and disciple. I felt the Lord impress upon me when I was praying. God, how do we love? How do I love? And he said, love them like you love your children. John chapter 13, 35 says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Commitment is another foundation of relationships. In his book, um, Disciple to Lead, Stan Gleason said, It's hard work. 
plain old-fashioned hard work. There is no shortcut. You can't take the stickers off uh, your child and put them back on. You know, KJ didn't just wake up one day and he could just do the Rubik's Cube. There was commitment involved. And before you start, first you have to count the cost. Uh, If you have children, I'm sorry, it's a bit late. It's a sunk cost. Um, You can't get rid of your kids. You are just responsible in discipling them. You can't return them. But commitment is required to make disciples. Jesus personally modelled commitment before he asked for commitment. He placed a demand on his followers. We preach and expect commitment. It costs you something to be a part of the church. The price begins when we're coming out of the world, when we live a holy life, when we forsake all. But the real price is paid when we interact with others, when we invest in others, in their spiritual journey. The cost of time, of money, emotion, of physical energy. Discipleship without cost is not discipleship. I'll say that again. Discipleship without cost is not discipleship. In our first lesson, I told you the story about Easy Eddie um, and how he worked for Al Capone. And he was living, you know, the most amazing life. He didn't, he lacked nothing, but he had a son that he loved. And in order to give his son a, a, a life um, of integrity, he had to rat out the, the gangsters, Al Capone. And that's what he did. And that cost him his life. But then I to- told you about his son, Butch O'Hare, who, who, was, who went on to receive a Medal of Honor in World War II. There was a sacrifice involved in, in the father. There was a sacrifice involved. Luke 14, 26, If any man come unto me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his also his life, He cannot be my disciple. See, Jesus is emphasizing the importance and the value he places on being his disciple. There is a cost that we must pay. He's not messing around. Being a disciple will cost you. If you're a parent, you know how much that's costing you. And for some people in this world, yes, even their families, history tells us that the answer To follow me cost all the disciples their life, except for John. And let's look to Jesus, our example. He spent three and a half years with his disciples. At the end of all, they ran away. One of them denied him, another betrayed him. And that must have hurt immeasurably. But he he didn't smite them. He forgave them. He showed grace and he showed mercy. It is, it is so much easier to travel alone. You know, Jesus probably was thinking, I could do this much better on my own. <laughs> These guys, come on. Without being burdened with the weight of a disciple. You know, so many times um, Liz and I will say, let's divide and conquer. You know, you go out to the shops and I'll stay at home and take care of the girls. Because if I go out to the shops or Liz goes out to the shops, You'll be done in an hour. You get everything and you're out. But if you've got to take the girls, put them in the car seats, do, you, know, you drive all the way there, they're crying, they've got to go to the toilet, you've got to do this. It's like there's a burden there that's much easier if you just leave them behind. 
Um, you can just travel faster alone. It's, it's just, that's the way it is. But discipling someone is not the easy way. It's the pace that he requires for us. It's the price that we must pay, the cross that we must carry. And the thing about discipling is when you open yourself up, you become vulnerable. People can hurt you and offend you internally. But that's where it requires commitment, that we won't quit despite the offenses or the hurt. We're carrying that cross. And those we disciple, they need repetition and they need consistency. This is where the teaching, the discipling, the instruction, the example, the prayer, the word of God, the loving, the, is, it's just rinse and repeat. Rinse, you, you just got to keep doing it. It takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. It's just simply hard work and commitment. Just like KJ learned the Rubik's Cube, it, it was just, he just kept doing it. He kept doing it. He kept doing it. And you look at Jesus, he spent three and a half years with the 12 disciples he chose. He spent time teaching them how to pray, modeling the behaviors he expected. You, you look at children when we're teaching them, our girls, we're teaching them how to brush their teeth. It's a very simple thing to do, but we've, they've just got to keep doing it over and over and over. And that, that, that repetition, that consistency, eventually they get it. That's what will bring results. But we were a generation, a microwave generation. You just want to chuck it in the microwave, press it, and then come out and perfect. But that's not the best food either, is it? Right? Um, discipleship is more like low and slow barbecue. You know, that it's tender when it comes out. It's, you know, it's not that microwave. It takes time. You can't rush it. It requires patience. And it, a lot of times we don't understand because w- we just look on the outside and we see, oh, they're late or they're not doing this or they should be here. But really, there's an almighty God working in their mind and their heart. And we don't see that. We don't see the stuff that's happening on the inside. We don't see the, the hurt and the pain that God is dealing with and helping them through. So we've covered three methods, three methods of disciple makers, prayer, partnership and relationship. So what is Disciple Makers? People have sort of asked, what is it? Well, it's not an official ministry like children's or youth or men's. The model that I talked to Pastor about, I proposed to him. Um, We did a little transaction there. Um, So I'm an accountant. I I work for the City of Perth and my role is um, I partner with the business. So I... uh, I'm a specialist. I understand debits and credits and profits and loss and all the accounting speak. But the people in the business or the, at the council don't understand that. Like I'll show them a profit and loss statement and they'll just glaze over. They just wouldn't understand what, what, what it means. So what I propose to pastor is that Disciple Makers is, is a business, it's like business partners. We're not called business partners, but it's partnership like I talked about earlier, working with pastor and working with you to equip you, to partner with you, to serve you. Disciple makers is empowering you and assisting you, providing you with resources and to foster the culture of disciple making. 
We want to support you to start a Bible study, a home group, to provide resources in, in all different areas for marriage and raising children, finances. We want to go and we want to go to who God is leading us to. Where and to who God is leading us to. When God opens doors, speak to me, speak to pastor. We want to partner with you. We want to help to make disciples. The goal is for you to live intentionally with a heart to make disciples, who make disciples. So if I could ask the ushers, um, there's some cards that I want, want to hand out to you. Um, just take one. Don't, don't, you don't have to actually scan the QR code just yet, but... So these are the call to action cards. Um, I was reading the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, and it's a conversation between two devils, um, and they were talking. Um, they're talking to each other um, about you know how they can disrupt people knowing God and and giving their life to God. And they said the great thing is to prevent his doing anything, as long as he does not convert it into action. It does not matter how much he thinks about it. Let him do anything but act. No amount of piety, imagination, and his affection will harm us, even if harm us if we can keep it out of his will. As one of the humans has said, active habits are strengthened by repetition, but passive habit passive ones are weakened. The more often he feels without acting, the less he will ever be to act, and in the long run the less he will feel. So what, what they're saying is, if we can just stop them, we can get them to hear things. If we can just get them to have um, some piety, or if, if we can just get them to think about these things, that's good enough. We got What we need to do is we need to stop them from actually doing something about the Word of God. And if we can stop them from doing it, then they'll feel less then they'll, they'll draw further away and their lives won't be changed. And this is the call to action, church. This is your opportunity to put your faith